Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hi, I'm Jason Bryan from the Shortime Wrestling Podcast and founder of the Matt Talk Podcast Network. Shows on the network are individually owned and operated, and those opinions presented and expressed may not reflect others, the sponsors, patrons, or the parent network. Find more shows about the greatest sport in the world at the Matt Talk Podcast Network at matttalkonline.com. Welcome to On the Mat. As always, sponsored by Cliff Keen Athletic, I am Kyle Klingman, joined by Andy Paddle Hamilton, and we are on the cusp of Final X just a few weeks away, and it certainly is one of my favorite events of the year. Different format, all in one location. It's going to be three mats in Newark, New Jersey. If you love wrestling, you got to get there. Don't know what else to say other than that. It's just, it's the event. World Championships on the line. And this is an event that I think is one of those marquee, you circle it, and you got to be there, or at least watch. Yeah. I wholeheartedly agree, Kyle. That's why I'm going to be there. Well, yeah. I don't know if you remember when uh, when we had a meeting about this two months ago, it was almost required that we be there. All hands on deck, that's, that's what they said. And... Okay, I suppose I'll go to the best event of the year and twist and, my arm, right? Yeah, twist my arm to to work one of the great events that uh, that we get to be a part of. But it's one of the great parts of this job. You get to be behind the scenes. You get to see things happen. You get to see the interviews. You get to see the behind the scenes on how things unfold. We were there for New York. I was there for New York exclusively. You were both at Stillwater and New York. I just think this is going to be a, a unique format with having the three mats side by side by side. And sounds like this is going to be a pretty big venue too. Yeah. I think this is kind of what I shouldn't say kind of what this is what I was hoping they would get to. So, you know, I was hoping for like kind of a, a two or three day final X in one location, but see how it goes all in one day. I, I'm excited to see it all in one location and, you know, the we had so many steps to it last year with the open and then the challenge tournament and then two locations of Final X and seemed like what we had last year we didn't have any great events prior to Final X. Now we have a great US Open, like the best that I can remember in a long, long time. Couple that with a world team trials challenge tournament that we're eagerly awaiting, you know, we're recording this on Friday before the 
world team trials. So I think we're both kind of looking forward to that and some, some really good matchups that are going to come out of that. And then a couple, three weeks here to, to hype up final X. And we still have to draw in that college fan to become just the wrestling fan. And we still have those where once the college season is over, the following of that team is over, even though you might have someone that goes on. And I think we've seen that trend continue and we need to get people into this thinking about world championships and maybe it's a a better education that we need to do about how this process works because I don't know how many conversations you have with people, but once the college season, high school season's over, they kind of check out and just being able to draw them in a little bit and get them excited about this world team trials process because it, it is a little bit funny because you have to really tell them what this means and especially that <laughs> new fan getting into the sport you have to go through the whole scenario of it's the olympics in a non-olympic year and it is still confusing to try to explain returning medalist and then if you win the u.s open but if there's not a returning medalist there's this world team trials process it still has that confusion level to it but it is simple when you say the two best going at it best of three series they make the world championship team when you get to that point it's pretty simple yeah, there's a lot to you, uh, you touched upon there, but I th- I think to your point about getting more people checked in this time of year, it's, it, it amazes me how many people, I get this all the time where April rolls around and people are like, you know, well, season's over, like, what do you do now? Or, or uh, November starts coming around and they're like, yeah, I bet you're looking forward to the season. And for us, like <laughs> it's 52 weeks a year that we're involved in wrestling and and what happens in April through the end of October, like there, there are tons of events in there that we get every year. We get excited for, for the stuff that is coming up in the, the spring and summer months and into the fall. And there just isn't, you know, maybe that widespread check-in is, is there is in the high school and college season, which is unfortunate because I think some of the stuff that happens in the spring and summer months is every bit as good. And this is, this is, this is prime example of that. And, and I think you continue to have to <laughs> be on repeat of here's what it means, here's what it means, because I know for me it took a while to finally figure out some things, even on the, the high school front, what it meant. And I, I always go back to the, the 2018 World Team Trials format in Rochester, Minnesota when we went, is that I really didn't understand what was going on with the – the junior world team trials process going on. Cause I think Gable Stevenson did both. I think he was going from Matt yeah. to Matt and, and he was in, in both formats. And so I understood the senior just fine, but just like, ah, oh, there's the junior, but I just, I wasn't that checked into it. It just takes getting people year after year checked into this and keep educating them because it has to be on repeat. It's not going to happen with just saying it once you have to probably do it. 200, 250 times before someone finally gets it. Well, I think the format we have now is more understandable for the fans than what it was a year ago. I think last year with the World Team Trials Challenge Tournament, where there were some weights that they wrestled out to the semis, and then there were some that they went to the finals. I thought that was that was kind of confusing. And so now, like, you know at the Open, if you, you win the Open, you're going to Final X. You know, if yeah. you win the World Team Trials Challenge Tournament, 
you're going to Final X, and you have to win the World Team Trials Challenge Tournament this weekend. There, there are no second chances for that group. So we're in a higher stakes environment now, and it's easier to follow for the people that are following along, for the people that are uh, in venue and, and those watching at home. And if you're watching Christian Pyle's stand-up videos that he does where he takes a topic and breaks things down, he did one on Kale Sanderson. And one of the things he did talk about in that that was intriguing to me was he talked about Kale Sanderson's comeback for the 2011 World Championships, which he made and eventually placed fifth. But he had a good perspective that even in that era, you didn't have the access to footage like you do now is that it wasn't the if kale would have come back in this era it would be explosion there would be hype videos and we would be able to do so much more but it was kind of underground and hidden and and now that i think about it i don't know how you would even go about watching it i don't know that there was a an outlet for it i don't think Flo was covering it at that time. It's just hard to believe that that was 2011, 11 years ago, and how far we've come in those 11, 12 years since that comeback with Kale Sanderson's. What's wild is uh, Kale, he was younger then than what Dake and Taylor are now. Is that right? Yeah. He was younger. Okay. So was he 30? He was 31. He was 31 at that time. Okay. And made that comeback, but again, it's just it's the power. And he'd been he'd been retired for what seven years? Yeah, yeah seven years. Four, yeah, it's incredible. So I don't think we ever saw how good Kale could have been internationally. He had that Olympic gold run in two thousand four, and then got into coaching. But I, I that point really hit me when Christian brought that up in that uh, in that commentary about Kale Sanderson's comeback that. It really wasn't widely publicized at that point. Well, think about, we talked about this before, I think, on this show. I know I've talked about it somewhere. Like in 2011, when Jordan Burroughs won his first world title, the only way you can watch that match, to my knowledge, is the, the footage that Gary Abbott filmed from a handicam up in the stands. <laughs> yeah. It just makes me laugh every time yeah. we bring that up, that that was Burroughs' first world title and we just didn't have the access. So... Be thankful for what we have with the footage we have, with the coverage we have. We're going to have Rich Bender, Executive Director of USA Wrestling, on the show. Before we get to that, I just want to cover a topic with the NCAA Wrestling Championships in that I think we look at things through the lens of how someone places or how they get on the podium. I don't think most fans truly understand the scoring system that is in place at the NCAA championships and what the ramifications are of that scoring system. So this popped in my head as I'm doing these early season lineup looks for various teams in the top 20. And when you start breaking things down and you look at the, the previous year's results and you see what an individual's done and on track wrestling, you can look at the number of team points you get. So reaching the quarterfinals, is a pretty big deal. You got to win two matches in the toughest tournament of the year. See this a lot. You win by decision, decision, and then you lose, lose. So you get to the quarterfinals, you score two points for your team. Mm -hmm. Two points for your team. On the backside, let's say you lose in the first round, 
you got to go through a gauntlet and you win three matches in a row. You score one and a half points for your team. Three matches, one and a half points. However, you go back to the 2007 Missouri team. They had three placers. They placed third that year. They had a first, a third, and a sixth. And they placed third at the NCAA championships. You say how it was bonus points. And so if you get one pin on the front side, you've scored three points, which is worth more than a guy that wins two decisions and gets to the quarterfinals. And just a, a basic math thing. I don't think people look at this too. You place eighth, you get on the podium, score five and a half points. If you win decision, decision, lose in the quarters, win your next match, you're in that, uh, you won your round to 12, and then you get the eighth place points, you get five and a half points for your team. If you, <laughs> if you get sent to the backside and you win three matches, however you want, and you win all by fall and then you get knocked out, you've scored seven and a half points for your team. So more than someone who places eight. So I think we get enamored by the where you, you fit on the podium. It really is bonus points. And you could be in one of these weird matches where you're behind and you get a fall. That that win on the front side, if you can get the one-point advancement and that two-point fall, three points for your team, that is huge. And I think the more, <laughs> more we can kind of get that out there. I, I don't think we have a great system for tournament scoring. I, I've always said that. I've always thought that. I just think it's odd that you would cut the advancement points in half on the backside, which is essentially a decision, and then keep the bonus point number the same instead of cutting it in half. And then on the backside, you just have more opportunities. And I don't want to say against an inferior opponent, but someone who's lost. It's tougher to win matches on the front side. And so once you get to the backside, that's why you see these Gorian Award winners. They're typically guys that got sent to the backside, and then, and then they can get falls. So I, I think a, a hard look at that, I don't think a lot of people understand scoring. I think a lot of the D1 coaches don't understand the scoring system necessarily. So placing isn't the biggest deal. I think getting those bonus points and scoring those, especially on the backside, it's huge. I don't think people understand that. Well, yeah, I mean, you, you laid it out there with – five and a half points. You could finish eighth, eighth place, five and a half points. You could have 10 all Americans who finish eighth with five and a half points. And theoretically you could get outscored by a team that only takes two wrestlers who wind up scoring a bunch of bonus points and winning titles. Yeah, exactly. And so, that, so that shows you how important it is to get guys deep into the tournament and high up on that podium scoring bonus points. It is. And, and I just, I, I, I don't know how we kind of make people more aware of that, that you can win. The, the baseline of winning an NCAA title is 20 points. If you win by all decisions, you get 20. If you get pin your way through the NCAA championships, the most you can score is 30 points under that scenario. If you lose in the first round and pin your way back and get third place, you can score 27 points. So potentially you can lose in the first round and score more points than the the third place finisher or the first place finisher who just scored 20. So it, it is funny. I get the idea that you want to dominate and you want to get those, but we've seen those situations where a third place finisher scores more than the second place in a lot of scenarios because second place is only going to win four matches. 
third place always wins five matches. So you're going to have two more opportunities on the backside to win matches. If you get second, all you can do is lose in the finals, and you're not, not going to have more chances to potentially get those bonus points. So it's, it's not a, a great system. I don't know what the fix is other than to cut bonus points in half on the backside. That's the only thing I can It's think more of confusing, thing. though, too, right? Like it's another layer of, you know, you're adding to the calculus here. But, you know, Wyatt Hendrickson scored more points in finishing third. He scored more points than two NCAA champs this year. There you go. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I think probably the biggest thing with team scoring that, that I see is the problem is what you sort of touched upon there is like, there are people who have spent a lifetime in this sport that still don't understand it. You know, now I understand it, but it's been a big part of my job is to, to learn it and, and to understand it and memorize it. But I don't think it's the best for bringing new people into the sport saying, all right, here's the formula, 16, 12, 10, 9, uh, 7, 6, 4, 3 for place winners, and you get a, a one point for advancement on the front, and you get a half on the back, and here's what your bonus points are worth. And, you know, the other part to your, you know, did you, you mentioned there a win by medical forfeit on the back, how much more prevalent those are. Now, I don't sense that there were a ton of them this year in comparison to previous years, but, but those can shake up the team team races quite a bit too. Like who's, who's fortunate enough to catch somebody in the, you know, on the backside and be able to, to pick up like, you know, that's consolation semifinal on Saturday morning at the national tournament, that's five and a half point win. That's a big, 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 big deal. And especially you start looking down the, the line at some of these team scores this year and, and how jammed up things were from like, you know, Michigan in sixth at 58 and a half and uh, Arizona state at 55, Nebraska 54. And then even down to not like just trying to get into the, the top 10, nine, 10, 11, Virginia tech, North Carolina state, Iowa state 49, 48, 47. So yeah, it's a big deal. But, but even what you said there again, light bulb moment where you get three points for eighth place points if you get a medical forfeit on the backside, you just got two and a half points. So you're essentially getting eighth place points for someone just not showing up. Yeah, and I think if anything, we need to look at bumping up how how many points an All-American scores. Because, like I said, it's it's hard to finish on that podium. You're finishing, you know, eighth out of out of uh, thirty three. You know, you're in yeah. the you're in the top you know top twenty five percent of of your weight class, like yeah, of that I, tournament. Yeah. yeah of that more that didn't qualify. Right. right. Yeah. So, so like you're in the top 10% nationally of all the schools. So I, I think, especially looking at, at some of the, the caliber of wrestlers it's taken to get on the podium, to finish sixth, seventh, eighth, that's hard. I would like to see those, those values bumped up a little bit more. Yeah. And, and, in my head, you know, as you think of placing too, I always think that there's a, a badge of honor with reaching the round of 12, which it is a, a badge of honor. But again, you win decision, decision, losing the quarters, losing the concies, you reach round of 12, but you've only scored two team points. Mm -hmm. And <laughs> again, if you go back and you lose in the first round, win by fall, win by fall, and then you lose, you're not in the, the round of 12, but you scored five team points. 
So it it really does show you the value of scoring those bonus points. And it's it, but it's tougher to win on the front side. It's just because you're presumably going against a tougher opponent at that point. I guess you could have an upset, but you get on the backside, it's it's gonna be a little bit easier to pick up bonus points there. The mentality's down a little bit. You're able to to catch some openings and you see those opportunities more on the backside. So love to see some tweaks on that. Anything else before we get to Rich Bender and talk to him about the future of wrestling in this country? Well, bonus points will be more prevalent next year. Probably. I hope so. Assuming that that the three-point takedown goes through. Yeah. You know, so that more majors and techs. mm -hmm. Yeah. Hope to get to that point. Cliff Keen Athletic is our sponsor. Let's hear from them, and then we'll be back with Executive Director of USA Wrestling, Rich Bender. Sir, yes, sir. New from Cliff Keen comes the sergeant. This roll-top carry is your do-all, go-anywhere duffel. Its water-repellent fabric makes the sergeant a perfect choice for going to and from the gym, on a road trip, or even a weekend getaway. This is not your run-of-the-mill duffel bag, folks. Cliff Keen's Sergeant combines waterproof zippers, heavy-duty straps, and interior shoe compartment with its unique roll-top opening. Great for adjusting the bag size to its payload. Go to cliffkeen.com and use coupon code ONTHEMAT at checkout and take 20% off your Sergeant bag order. Yep, coupon code on the mat gets you 20% off. Just go to www.cliffkeen.com and click accessories under the shop wrestling tab. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Our guest is USA Wrestling Executive Director Rich Bender. He is going into the National Wrestling Hall of Fame as a distinguished member soon. Rich, how are you? I'm doing great. Great. How about you guys? Well, we're doing good, and you have to be doing good. You're going in. You're going to be a Hall of Famer. How does that feel? Yeah, it doesn't feel real. Um, certainly, you know, I, I think I, I've convinced myself that, you know, I can accept it with the honor of being the least deserving member of anyone ever inducted in any Hall of Fame ever, ever anywhere. So uh, with that, I can I, I can probably hold my head high and, and move on. But certainly, you know, it's it's unreal, obviously. Um, you know, never in my wildest dreams would I think something like this was possible, but obviously incredibly grateful. When you get a call like that, how does it feel? Well, so I was at, I was in, uh, actually Panavidra, Spain at the, at the UW or the UWU 23 world championships, uh, this last summer when Leroy called me and called me and said, Hey, congratulations. You're going to be a distinguished member. And I, I paused and I was just kind of waiting for, 
you know, John Smith to kind of pipe in and say, yeah, right, that they were just kind of maybe bored and had were killing some time and wanted to have some fun at my expense. And and that didn't happen. I thought, well, there's got to be some mistake. And I said, Leroy, I can't, I can't accept. I just I can't do it. I'm not deserving. And it's, you know, I just can't accept it. And he paused for a second and said, Rich, let me give you some advice. Uh, when you're, when you're in, when you're offered to be inducted into the National Wrestling Hall of Fame, uh, you accept. <laughs> and to that, I, 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 I said, well, maybe, I guess I will, and realized, obviously, in seriousness, at that point, that it, you know, wasn't my honor. It's, it's the, it's a USA Wrestling honor. It's the, literally, thousands of volunteers that poured their life into the sport, and uh, you know, I've just been blessed and with the opportunity to lead an organization. It's, and its backbone is the you know the volunteers and the really the straw that stirs the drink for wrestling in America. Let's reflect. Let's go back ten years to 2013 when wrestling was supposed to be dropped from the Olympics, or it was suggested. Take us through what you remember about that moment in the moment when you got the call that uh, that it might be dropped. Well, I, I, I mean, was aware that there was a vote coming up by the executive board. And again, I kind of go back to kind of set the stage on how wrestling got into that, into that position is that the then president of the International Olympic Committee is a gentleman named Jacques Rogue. And Jacques Rogue had a, uh, had a goal as president of the, of the International Olympic Committee would, was to modernize the movement. And there was a, you know, he was getting a lot of feedback from, from folks that the games were, you know, kind of archaic. They weren't, they weren't modernizing themselves or they weren't staying up with the times and their relevancy was, was, was maybe not going, uh, on the right trajectory. And so he made a, a decision that he was going to modernize the games and his strategy around modernizing the games was that at the time there were 26 sports on the summer Olympic program. And his, his strategy was to add two new sports to give the, the games a kind of a refresh. And then the final part of that refresh was to look at the 28 sports and then take one of the sports off and put another new sport on, meaning that they would really take a, a program of 26 uh, foundational Olympic sports, make it 28, and really add three new by taking one of the, you know, in theory, the existing 26 off. So that was the process by which wrestling um, was was in, and we had an international federation that that wasn't very interested in 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 talking to the International Olympic Committee about this this data and this re, or the data and the research that they were seeking to figure out how they could decide which one of these sports were going to come off. And uh, you know, I think ultimately that was that was the the foundation by which wrestling started to be considered. It was an international federation that was really unwilling to cooperate with any kind of data seeking process to figure out what was, what sports should be in or, or out. And, you know, I think going in, so I was aware that uh, February 13th, I think was the day of the vote, but uh, I was aware that that vote was going to be taken by the, by the executive board of the international Olympic committee and the executive board of the International Olympic Committee, I think it was 14 members. So literally, it came down to you know seven people putting wrestling on a on a ballot, and that's you know how we got into that position. And uh, most people going in had talked to the internet or to our National Olympic Committee the night before the vote, and was told that 
yeah, wrestling's done. You know, you you you're not one of the sports being considered. That likely it'll be modern pentathlon or you know maybe taekwondo, but wrestling's not really in the conversation. Well, uh, that's not what happened. And in the in the room that day and lose on for you know through a couple of ballots and votes ultimately seven people wrote wrestling down on this on this uh on this ballot and you know thus wrestling was thrown into the spotlight and you know kind of pegged to be the sport that was going to be removed from the program and what luckily for wrestling was a really smart lawyer with fila uh, at the time it was called fila now uww that said look the olympic charter clearly says that only the session, meaning all the IOC members, can make the final decision on, a, on the program, meaning what sports are contested. And if you take wrestling off the program by a vote of seven people on the, the executive board, in a sense, the session's not, hasn't, hasn't voted on the program. So um, we were able to convince the International Olympic Committee that wrestling should, at the very minimum, be allowed to participate or to compete with the other. I think at the time there were nine sports that were be would be added back on the Olympic program. And uh, Kyle, I don't think you were thinking this answer was going to be this long, but anyway, uh, so uh, we uh, we were able to compete with the other sports to to get on the program and ultimately that's that was the process that we followed to, to get back on the program but that day in february I, I didn't think that we were being considered i mean it was all the information that we had we knew there was a vote that wrestling wasn't going to be on but uh i was i remember the day pretty well i was in the shower you know, early in the morning i get up early in the morning and my wife got out of bed and said he need to answer your phone it's blowing up and i picked up my phone and i looked down on my phone and it was a text message from dan gable that said, worst news ever, and my heart sunk. I knew exactly what he meant. And uh, and so, you know, that started the the wheels in motion, if you will, to, you know, figure out what, you know, what what we needed to do and how we needed to um, secure wrestling spot on the program moving forward. Rich, where are we as a sport 10 years later if, if wrestling hadn't gotten back on the Olympic program? Oh, man, I, I don't... I don't want to think about it. And I think, you know, one of the, one of the, the realities of, of, I mean, wrestling is a foundational sport in our country, right? I mean, we, we're ingrained into the fabric of youth sports in America, 10,000 high schools wrestle. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's a, it's just a, a really foundational uh, activity for youth in America. And, and to say that, oh, just being on the Olympic program, that would end. Certainly. I mean, I think would probably be a stretch. I think, you know, historically, you know, wrestling um, could, you know, could survive uh, without the Olympic designation. But I think it sure sure would have hurt us and sure would have hurt, um, you know, our ability to 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 shove the sport forward from a relevancy, legitimacy standpoint. And I think it certainly ultimately has had a, you know, would have a very, very, very detrimental impact on the growth of women's wrestling for sure. February 13th, 20, was it 13th or 11th of uh, 2013? Let's just take February 1. At that point, you didn't know it was going to come. But was there a part of you that thought, we aren't really where we need to be as a sport internationally? Oh, for sure. And you guys were both around at the time. And it's, I mean, at the end of the day, our, our, 
I mean, our sport needed some work, right? I mean, there was, you know, pretty, I think, widespread corruption. Maybe that's a pretty strong word, but, you know, I think, you know, you know, the refereeing wasn't always, uh, you know, as, as transparent as I think we had, we would, we'd had hoped or think thought and the rules were, were bad. I mean, you reach in a bag and grab a ball and determine really who's going to win a match. I mean, that's not wrestling. And, you know, I think the, the governance of the sport at the international level had a long ways to go when it comes to, you know, professionalism, et cetera. And yeah, there's no doubt, no doubt that there was, uh, you know, anybody that was around the sport knew that there was certainly some opportunities for the sport to get better. Why did we get to the ball draw era? Well, I think it's, I mean, my philosophy is at the time we had a a president of the International Federation, a guy named Rafi Martinetti, who was a longtime referee with, within wrestling, a good referee. And, uh, he, I mean, had this philosophy that, you know, to, to, to make the sport more interesting and, and better that you just, I mean, he was searching for a rule change that would, that would do that. I don't know if you, how closely you followed it back in the, you know, 10 years before the 2013, you know, the early 2000s. I mean, we were changing rules literally every year and sometimes multiple times in a year. There's times where we go to the world championships and there'd be rule changes that we'd find out about at the world championships. And it, uh, because Rafi was a referee, I think he felt confident in, you know, understanding the sport and, you know, had a, a system in place where, you know, it's pretty efficient way for him to, if he had an idea to change a rule, he could, there was a system in place that could get that actually done. Those rules change, those rules change, rule changes made. And I don't think, you know, I've never, never thought this, that, you know, any of those rule changes were done with intent to make the sport worse. I think they all actually, the changes were made in his mind to improve the sport. It's just, unfortunately, you know, there wasn't a lot of democracy or, uh, input in, included in into those decisions, and you know, ultimately, you know, I think uh, looking, you know, many times we'd look at each other after a world championships or Olympic games and say, "Did we just really determine the best wrestler in the world by who pulled out the right color ball out of a bag?" And you know, in a sense, that's what we were doing at the time. Since that point, we have gotten to the point where we are in the best era for the United States in wrestling. Why and how did we get to that point? Well, I think in, 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 and I think, um, first of all, I want to kind of go back to the, uh, to that process in 2013 to, to stay on the Olympic program. I think the, you know, the most critical decision that was made in that whole process was, you know, we didn't, we didn't like turn into wrestlers from the perspective of wanting to fight, right? We, we could have taken the approach that, you know, we're going to sue the IOC. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to, you know, hold somebody, uh, these people accountable for making this stupid decision. It was a stupid decision, right? I mean, it's, wrestling needed to, needs to be on the Olympic program. And instead of taking that approach of, you know, wanting to punch back or fight, we, we, we took a breath and, and decided that, look, hey, this might be an opportunity for us to, to do the things that we weren't able to do in the, in the existing environment, meaning make, a, make rule changes, make uh, you know, governance, leadership changes, and ultimately improve the sport. And I think that um, you know, is, 
is, is foundational to, to where we are today as a sport. And certainly the, the success that we enjoy in America is as, as a result of the sport being really good, right? The, the rules are good. The governance is good. I think athletes enter our sport with a high level of confidence that if indeed they are the best wrestler, they're going to win and not have all these external factors impact whether they can achieve their their dream and their goal or not. And I think, you know, we've been fortunate as a country to inspire um, many to to be, get involved and, and support the, the program. I think, you know, the fact that, you know, our, our school college community and the infrastructure that exists for wrestling is the envy of the world. We, we have the best. And when we have a sport that, that, you know, has kind of figured itself out from a, you know, from a governance perspective and a rules perspective and an accountability perspective, if you have a good infrastructure, you know, you're, you're bound to be successful. And we're, we're really fortunate. And that's, that's not because of Rich Bender or USA Wrestling. It's because of the history and the passion that so many people have uh, that are involved in our sport. And I said, you know, I've said this to both you guys before, right? If you've been involved in wrestling, you're better for it, period. There's no exception, never been an exception for somebody that's got involved in wrestling and not improved themselves. And I think it's, you know, it's, it's been kind of at the foundation of our success is being able to rally people around that reality of, you know, what the sport can do for you. We have an infrastructure that, like I said, is, is really efficient and, and powerful and, you know, kids have a, have an opportunity to step on the mat from, you know, their very first experience in the sport in a really clear pipeline and pathway for them to achieve at the very highest level. There's not a big disjointed process in our sport, right? You step on the mat in a, in a gym in, in uh, Eastern Iowa and, and there's, a, there's a clear pathway for you to take the sport to, to whatever level you want and, and for us, fortunately, a lot of a lot of uh, guys and girls in our country have have had that dream and been able to follow that path and ultimately have success. That is really really cool. From that moment in February of 2013 until wrestling got back into the Olympic Games officially, it felt like there's a real unity behind the sport and in the world. How do we maintain that unity to make sure we never forget that moment and use that moment in every subsequent year going forward? Well, I think, I mean, it's accountability, Kyle. It's, I mean, at the end of the day, we got to, I mean, the leaders have to be held accountable for making decisions that, that, that are in the best interest of the sport always. And it's, I mean, that's not always easy I mean, because, uh, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of different viewpoints on, on, not just wrestling things, but just, you know, matters around the world. I mean, I, the, the Russians don't see this, see things the same way we do. And, you know, I think it's, it's really important for us to be committed to a level of transparency and accountability to those that are in, in, in leadership positions and making decisions, uh, and hopefully for the best interest of the sport. When we think about those critical moments, last year was one, Russia was not at the World Championships. Where does that stand going forward? Will Russia be in? Will Ukraine be out? What kind of conversations do you have about that topic? Well, a lot of them. And actually, I'm blessed to, to have the opportunity to serve on the board of directors of the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee. And that's a, a very, very big topic of discussion. 
within the you know the broader not just the wrestling community but the entire Olympic community and, and within wrestling and so how the structure works is you know the the real decision makers on who uh, you know what countries participate and what the what the rules of engagement are in terms of their participation is the International Sport Federation. So you have the International Olympic Committee, that's the overarching uh, authority over Olympic sport around the world. And then you have international sport federations. UWW is our International Sports Federation, United World Wrestling. You have national Olympic committees that ultimately don't have the same authority as the international sport federations, but the international sport federations make the rules for their sport, rules for participation in the Olympics, rules for, you know, qualification, rules for eligibility, et cetera. And our international federation, uh, UWW, tends to be, you know, I think probably more, um, I guess, I don't know what word I want to use, but more willing to, to, to look for ways to provide broader participation for everybody, meaning, you know, probably I think it's safe to say that you know, they are looking for ways to to figure out how everybody can participate in the sport, regardless of what their passport says. And our international federation has made the decision already that from U17 and below, there's no no ban on Russian and Belarusian participation. Other than, it's my understanding they 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 have to compete as um, independents or uh, non-Russian, you know connected team. I don't know if that even makes sense what I said, but um, as independent. So, you know, we expect to see a Russian team and a Belarusian team, even though they won't probably be wearing, um, you know, Russian warmups or see the Russian flag or the Belarusian flag or warmups that they will still be in, in the world championship. And that's, that's a decision that they've made. As far as the Olympic participation, as we all know, uh, well, not everybody knows, but you know the the first and only requirement for participation in the World Championships is participation in the Continental Championships. Meaning, you cannot w- wrestle at the World Championship with a team gr- bigger than the team that you participate in with at the Continental Championships. Meaning, if you, you instead of you weigh in 30 athletes and compete in your Continental Championships, you can enter 30 athletes, you know, one per weight class in the per discipline at the world championships. If you enter 10 athletes in the, in the continental championships, you can only enter 10 athletes in the, in the world championships and the Asia and the Russians and the Belarusians are required to participate in the European championships. That's their continental championships and that's over. So unless the international federations were to make some radical change to their rules, they're out for the world championships this year. And I, I, I mean, I, nothing really surprises me, but I would say that that's, it's doubtful that we'll see the Russians in and the Belarusians in, in Serbia, although we're preparing as if they're going to be there. I assure you our coaches are well aware of, you know, what, what uh, competitors are, are wrestling in Russia and in Belarusia, and certainly we won't. Uh, be surprised if they show up at the world championship. But as of right now, it's not likely they will participate. The <clears throat> president of the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee said in a meeting this week that when it comes to 
uh, Russian participation in the Olympics that it was doubtful. That was his words, doubtful. And it's already been decided by the International Olympic Committee. And and I said that the International Olympic Committee doesn't ultimately make the the decision, but they've they've recommended to the International Federation that no Russian team would be a, allowed to participate in Paris. And team meaning team sports. Certainly, they also said that if the Russians, any Russian athletes are allowed to participate, it won't be under the Russian flag. Um, and same for, for Belarus. But um, the the president of the international or the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee said that you know if there were any Russians allowed to participate, and I say keep saying Russians, and I mean Belarusians and Russians, but um, and uh, that it would there that if he would be shocked if if there were any more than just a few that would meet the eligibility requirements, meaning they cannot. And the eligibility requirements that the International uh, Olympic Committee has suggested to the, the International Federations is that no athlete with a connection to the military, which eliminates a big segment of the of the Russian athletic teams, because m- many of them are, you know, either in uh, military clubs or work for, or are in, in you know uh, enlisted in the in the military. Uh, the other condition is that they could not have shown any public support for for the war, and you know I think that's kind of a a nebulous thing. I don't know what that means exactly, and you know my uh, input and suggestion to the uh, to our uh, Olympic committee is that look, I mean it's it's I don't know how you you know what do you do go through. Sajulai's Facebook account and make sure he hasn't said anything about the war or what what's that look like and you know a bigger concern that I have personally is what's going on with doping control in that country and you know it's safe to suspect that the Russian anti-doping agency isn't in Mahachkala doing unannounced drug testing on the wrestlers and what does that re-entry look like if an American wrestler retires and comes out of the testing pool for USADA He's an el- he or she is ineligible to participate for six months uh, after they decide they're going to come back to the sport so that there's an opportunity for um, our anti-doping agents to feel like they've maintained a level playing field for all the wrestlers that, you know, someone doesn't just retire and then, you know, come back to the sport after being on the gas for a while. So um, that's, that's, I mean, I, I, I'm, Doubtful that we'll see him at the senior level at the World Championships this year. I'm not as doubtful that we'll see him uh, at the at the Olympics in in uh, in Paris. I mean, certainly, um, you know, not by any stretch a, a fan of the war and want that war to end. And uh, you know, certainly, um, you know, I think people are all over the place in terms of you know their belief and what involvement, if any. You know, Russian wrestlers have had in the in this war, but you can't ignore you know the impact it's had on the Ukrainian wrestlers for sure. Let's look back to the U.S. Open. What great energy there was there! What a great tournament that was. When you were watching from your seat, what did you think about the U.S. Open this year? Well, it was it was a bit of a relief actually, Kyle. I mean, it's just uh, I mean at the end of the day, um, you know, our U.S. Open 
because of our selection procedures have, have, you know, their relevancy of the U.S. Open hasn't been there. And it was just great to see the energy and the, and the, and the depth and the, the level at which, you know, our sport is being contested at the very highest level uh, in America. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm a fan of Vegas and, you know, it's a destination. I think it's a, it's a place where, you know, athletes enjoy, um, you know, coming to. And to see that many high-level wrestlers wrestling in a meaningful event was was really it was a relief, but also uh, obviously it was it was really cool to see. Let's look at the final X product coming up. There's going to be one venue, one location, three mats. What went into the decision to just go to one location this year? Well, actually. Um, Kyle, that was the—I mean—that was originally the thought when this was dreamed up of what Final X would be, and you know, just as we, you know, kind of evolved through it, it just—you know—this is the first time we've been able to actually put that together, all in one location. You know, coming down to, you know, maybe the most important night in wrestling, certainly domestically, where you know the eyes of the entire wrestling community can be. You focused on one location, and uh, you know, hopefully, uh, we'll do a good job of setting up the matchups and creating a big buzz and interest. And uh, you know, it'll be a hot ticket in at the Prudential Center now that the Devils are out of the playoffs. That gives us another <laughs> level of relief. But um, it, it's it's how we got there. It's you know, been a lot of hard work and and you know, trying things and you know, listening to people and clubs and athletes. And, you know, ultimately we think we've, 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 we've figured it out and hopeful that it's going to be a, a, you know, a crown jewel within our sport and, uh, you know, a day that, you know, the entire wrestling community really focus in on Team USA. Do you think it'll stay in that format for the foreseeable future? Because in 2017, Probably the best wrestling event I've been to. I know Andy will always say the the 2017 Worlds in Paris. I wasn't there, but live event 2017 World Team Trials was the best I've been to. Any chance we go back to that format where it's all in one day? Well, I don't. I, I don't know. Uh, that's 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 a good. We won't have the same the same format next year for sure. We'll go back to a, a multiple day format with. Uh, with the Olympic trials, it won't be a final X, um, um, system, so to speak. So, um, I mean, we'll, we'll see. I mean, I think one of the things that's pretty cool about the organization in the sport is that, you know, we take input from a lot of different folks and, you know, changing isn't something that, that we're totally against, uh, improving is something that we strive for. And if, you know, this event proves to be wickedly successful we'll stay with it if there's adjustments that need to be made we'll make them but next year the olympic trials will be more the traditional format that that you're used to that you saw in in uh in texas our last uh trials and then the two before that in iowa the Olympic trials is going to be in state college before that the u.s nationals will be somewhere in december any word i want to location will be for that event in December and uh, of course I think we know why State College but how long did it take to finally come to the the determination to be in State College for the Olympic trials well and as you know we went through a bid process uh, prior to the the 2020 or 2021 if you will um, Tokyo Games and uh, selected State College as as the host and 
uh, COVID hit and obviously some um, challenges in state college that we just couldn't overcome from a COVID perspective and uh, agreed to allow them to to keep the bid for the next the next trial. So there wasn't much of it. We, had, we, didn't, we didn't go through another process um, to, to determine if that was the, the spot. We'd already done that and honored our commitment to them uh, from 2020. As far as where the, the, the Nationals will be in December, I think it looks like it'll be down in Texas again, and I believe it will be in Fort Worth. What's your take on NIL? I know you're not on the college scene, but do you have any thoughts on where we're going with college sports and NIL? Well, there's I mean, a couple. I mean, that's a pretty broad question. I mean, I think, you know, most people would look at NIL at its, you know, kind of foundation and say, you know, does it make sense for, you know, a wrestler like Kyle Klingman is, you know, wrestling at his university to have a, a deal with a local tire shop that's going to pay him some money to come over on a Saturday and, and sign some autographs and help him uh, sell some tires and, and earn a little money. I think most people looked at that and thought, yeah, that makes sense. I think that's, that's, that's probably makes sense. I, I think there was some kind of miss gauging, if you will, the, the transfer of interest from traditional sponsors to individual athletes, i.e. State Farm, you know, has, doesn't have an interest in sponsoring individual athletes. They're going to sponsor the University of Illinois and the institution that it is and what it stands for and the, the totality of, the, of their um, sports programs. Where, and I think that when that legislation first passed, there was some that thought that there would be a redistribution that, oh, really, the, the donors and the sponsors were interested in individual athletes and that they're just being exploited and that money will just transfer over. Well, we found that that's not the case, right? There's some, some, some commercial uh, properties that have decided to invest specifically in individual athletes, but it's not, I mean, I think statistics will tell you not, that hasn't been a, a wholesale change. Um, what, what's, what's really interesting and in some ways really scary is the legislation that's being proposed in California that will now redistribute television rights to specifically football and basketball players and what impact that could have on sports programs in America. I mean, we haven't seen a big distribution of resources from corporate America to individual athletes. And there's some, for sure there's some, but... Uh, for the most part, I think the, the the universities and the athletic departments have been able to maintain that. Uh, television rights are another thing. If they if they lose half of that, I think it has a drastic impact on Olympic sports and sports that maybe aren't you know generating the same um, commercial revenue on their own. But um, in terms of what I think. The, the future is, I, I, my personal opinion is that, that it will eventually, uh, I mean, the market will, will determine what, you know, what is the value. And, you know, right now, I think the thing that's, that's we've seen is instead of athletes being able to earn um, revenue or earn dollars around their name, image, and likeness in our sport, I think it's boiled down to what athletes are being paid to score team points at the NCAA championships. And I don't think that's what, what it was intended for, but um, you know, there are these collective out collectives that are being put together and that's indeed what's happening. 
and uh, I'm not a fan of it. I mean, certainly a huge proponent of of um, making sure that people, you know, can afford to wrestle and be a part of the sport. But um, you know, that's I know that that's a sustainable model. But I think it. I think the market will come back and. You know, we'll, it'll be determined what what is the value, and values will match up with with name, image, and likeness, and hopefully, we'll uh, we'll get the wind at our back. But right now, I think it's all over the place, and I think there's a lot of misinformation in the market, if you will, about you know what you know what is being paid, who's paying what, and you know I think it's also concerning the transfer portal in terms of what impact that's had on you know, at coaches' abilities to put teams together and, you know, really invest and develop athletes. And, uh, you know, hopefully that's something that will be uh, addressed in the in the near future. How many days a year are you on the road, Rich? Uh, I think I looked at it last year. I was on the road, I think, 137 days. Rich Fargo, schedule looks quite a bit different this year. Uh, the the girls are going to kick things off. Uh, there's a break between uh, the, the guys freestyle and Greco Roman uh, with some beach wrestling emphasis in there. Can you, can you uh, explain the thought process behind the schedule and, and the, why it got drawn up the way it did this year? Well, thanks for the question, Andy. And I just a hundred percent transparency. I can't. Okay. <laughs> and I, and I, and I, and I, I, I'd say that respectfully and I, and I, and, and, and sincerely, I, I mean, at the end of the day, um, I mean, that's, it's, it's a great spectacle. I mean, right. It's been a, it's been a foundation of USA wrestling as long as I've been here and a, a great spectacle for our sport, but it's managed by, by our staff certainly, but mostly the volunteers and our state leaders and those that put these teams together and figure out what's the best format and structure for, for the teams and the athletes. And, Man, there, there, there are a lot of changes made this year. Hopefully, all for the better. But you know, I think part of it uh, is to do with the development of women's wrestling, and you know, the 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 reality that you know, that sport has matured and developed to a point to where you know we're qualifying now athletes for for that event as opposed to being an open tournament. And you know, certainly there's a uh, it's a, it's still a grind. And I mean, what we had almost 6,000 entries totally in that event last year. And, you know, it takes tweaking every year, but hopefully the changes that are being made this year are for the better. And as I said earlier, if, if not, we'll, we'll take a look and, and look for ways to make it better in the future. Rich, before we let you go, have you watched all of the Yellowstone episodes and all of the spinoffs yet? I have. And I'm a little upset that, uh, that there's, you know, not a lot of word on what's going on with, with these, you know, the shoulder programming and the other Yellowstone uh, series. But, um, yeah, big fan and, uh, you know, hopeful that it's going to gonna return soon. Rich, thanks for this time. Congrats on Distinguished Member in the National Wrestling Hall of Fame, and we will see you at Final X in Newark, New Jersey. We cannot wait for that event. Yeah, me either, and thanks, guys. Appreciate both of you guys, man. Just and you guys are our studs in our sport, and we owe you a huge debt of gratitude for the information that you distribute and the passion by which you cover our sport. And uh, man, this 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 event in that's uh, coming up in Stillwater, the Hall of Fame. You guys are as deserving of any award as I am. So thank you for what you do. Thanks, Rich. We appreciate your time, and thanks for coming on. 
All right, guys. Be well. We'll take a short break, and we will be back to wrap up the show. This spring, get into the club, freestyle, and even folk-style seasons with some fresh new workout gear from Cliff Keen. Cliff Keen's line of dry-release workout shirts and shorts offers industry-best training apparel that bring you comfort and performance in the gym, on the mats, or simply hanging out. On the mat listeners can save big at cliffkeen.com, too. Go to cliffkeen.com and use coupon code ONTHEMAT at checkout and take 20% off your order. Yep, coupon code ONTHEMAT gets you 20% off. Just go to www.cliffkeen.com and click Performance Apparel under the Shop Wrestling tab. Wrapping things up with Rich Bender, we got a retrospective on what happened in 2013 from Rich Bender's perspective. I'm glad that... He did not find any value in the ball draw. That was a horrendous moment in our sport. And it is funny going back and watching matches from that era. When you look up someone, there was a a match I wanted to watch between Helen Maroulis and Tanya Verbeek. Tanya is the new assistant women's coach at the University of Iowa. She's from Canada. But it was the ball draw era in 2012, I think it was. And it was just brutal to watch. You see them point to the leg that they want and the referees are telling them to get in the right position and the percentages if you get the ball draw to win are astronomical so thank goodness we're past that and we are on a a nice era for the sport of wrestling and we you just don't see the arguments like you used to it's transparency you get to watch the reviews on the the monitor and that was <laughs> That was not happening during that era. Let's just say that. That was bad. Yeah, it was. It was bad. Like how much, how much of a gong show was it with with all clinches? Not just you know, like leg clinch, then the, the upper body clinch, and like did this guy get a fair enough lock? Did he get too much of an advantage? Like it was. It was such a mess. And thank goodness we're past that. But fun to hear his perspective on what happened, and that he saw some things. Coming, not that the sport was going to get dropped potentially, but that he knew it wasn't on the right path and he didn't get into it. But he has said that that was the most important moment in wrestling history. And I agree. We needed that slap in the face. We needed to get things cleaned up. I think if Kerry Colat would have been wrestling during this era, he would have won world championships because you wouldn't have gone behind closed doors and reversed decisions, which is just absolute robbery that that Kerry Colott does not have a world or Olympic title. We had Rich Bender on for Andy Hamilton. I am Kyle Klingman. Thanks to Cliff Keen Athletic. You've been listening on the map. <laughs>